When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Golikin Smetty here. Being a fired head football coach in college is the absolute American dream. And welcome to yet another edition of Golik and Smetty. Mike Golik Sr. here, Jess Matana there. And we got a lot going on. Obviously, there's a lot going on Ooh. in the sports world. We have a, a major announcement at the major end of this pod. Major mm-hmm. How's that for a tease? You know? Major announcement. Stay tuned. Uh, yes, definitely stay tuned. You're going to want to hear it. You can be a part of this major announcement as well. Mm-hmm. Also, um, a little earlier while Jess was doing the show with uh, Levitard and the gang, uh, I had a chance to talk to Zeke Elliott, uh, running back for the uh, Dallas Cowboys. So you'll hear that interview as well. We start talking about uh, the NFL. Zeke was uh, great to talk to. We certainly talked about Rainmakers, the uh, fantasy football and DraftKings, which is an incredible thing where people are winning tons of money, which is a beautiful thing. So we'll talk to Zeke uh, as well. Major announcement at the end of this pod. And Jess, I know you guys just had a team picture uh, for the Levitard crew this morning. Yeah. Uh, so that team pictures are always amazing to me. And everybody's done them. When you say team picture, it could be a class picture. You know, everybody's gone through uh, the the team picture. And it never ends on time, ever. You can never, never get everybody together. And I know in your group of, group, you have a bunch of guys who are just unbelievably irresponsible. So I'm sure it didn't go very smooth. Yeah, so I I was not sure what to wear because I haven't had a picture day since, you know, senior year of high school. So this morning I was on the phone with one of my girlfriends and I was like, which blazer should I wear? Which shoes <laughs> should I wear? What lip color should I wear? And like mid-conversation, I was like, this isn't going to matter because all of these guys are going to show up in like basketball shorts. Yes. So then, Mike, to my surprise, I got to work today. Everyone was dressed so lovely. So I need to, you know, I need to to check myself because I had low expectations that I shouldn't have because this group is very, uh, you know, they, they are responsible, except for one person who did show up in basketball shorts and a T-shirt and a black hoodie. Um, so, you know, that was the the outlier. He's going to look weird in all the pictures now because everyone else had a nice button down. Uh, and so, you know, Chris Whittingham in a three-piece suit essentially showing up. So I, I do have to give them all credit. Aside from that, though, Mike, yeah, I mean, hurting cats is the expression, I think, that you use for these types of situations because it's like so-and-so is over there. They're eating lunch. They need to be over here taking a picture. So-and-so needs a picture with this person. That person's going to the bathroom. Like, there's always just the logistics of picture day are are, are never enjoyable. I can't believe that they showed up decently dressed. I'm not going to lie. I'm stunned. I mean, you took the time to to call someone and talk about what you're going to wear. I was going to say... What here's what never happens: guys calling one another to find out what they're going to wear. But man, it sounds like they all had, uh, you know, had good intentions. I, I'm I I have to admit I'm impressed. I, I'm a little stunned, quite honestly. Yeah, well, you know, I I have to give credit to this group. Everyone looked great on picture day. So picture wait, was Stu there? 
Stu did not wear a hat today. No really? hat. I saw his hair for the first time since 2018. I don't wow. think I've ever seen his hair in person, Mike. I don't think since I worked with Stugatz, he's ever not had a disgusting, stained, dusty, yeah. Grateful Dead hat on. Yeah, yeah. Wow, man, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing short of unbelievably impressive. Impressive, impressive yeah. group. Yeah. I yeah, agree. I yeah. So now along those lines, because I love eating the food you make, and I love hearing about the food you make. And I know you usually bring food into the crew. This mm-hmm. seems like it was tailor-made where you knew there was good, it was a group setting and you were going to be around a little longer because you had to do the picture that there would be some baked goods involved. Were there baked goods involved? <laughs> there were baked goods involved. This oh. weekend, I went on a rampage. I baked... <laughs> Mike, I don't, I don't care what anyone says. Pumpkin season starts at the end of August. Agreed. I made pump, pu- thank you. I made pumpkin pecan blondies with chocolate in them. Oh. They were um, just this perfect pillowy cake-like pumpkin treat with crunchy pillowy pecans. like I love it. Oh, mwah, they were so delicious. <laughs> and then I made the controversial decision to make pumpkin ginger scones which i loved i love scones yes. this group did not appreciate the scones seriously there's there's not a lot of sugar in these and right, there's crystallized right. ginger which i think maybe isn't for everyone it's a very sharp taste um very strong like ginger bite if you get a little piece of ginger but i love them i thought they were delicious they taste great with coffee which i'm a huge coffee drinker yep. like yep. like your son mike um, this group did not appreciate the scones too, too savory and too dry for them. That's well, you know what? That's their fault. Now I've seen scones a couple of different ways. Did they have mm-hmm. any kind of icing on them or no? No. And I think if I made them again, I would put icing on them. Actually. I think they needed a little bit of a, an icing on top. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably what they want. I, I didn't matter to me, but I'm with you. I love having it with a, now you hot coffee or cold coffee. I'm year-round cold coffee. Yeah. Are you re- see? Well, here, I live here, in Miami now, so no, you know. I, you know what? And, and that never it. mattered to matter to me. If I lived in a hot place too, I'm only a hot coffee drinker. And he, and here's here's and, and and Mike yells at me all the time, saying, you know, I always try not to be that old guy on the on the you know steps get off my lawn. Uh, but there's uh-huh. one there's there's one thing, and you'll probably disagree with it with it too, but. I feel when you go to a coffee establishment, a Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, whatever, whatever it is, when I say I'd like a large coffee, I should not be asked hot or cold or whatever. It should be because coffee has been hot forever. That's the normal way. Okay? So I think if you want the nitro or the cold brew, you specify that in your order. If I say I'd like a large coffee, it should be assumed that's a hot coffee. But they say, oh, is that is that a hot coffee or a cold brew? And I get aggravated. It's a hot coffee. That's that's what when you say coffee, it should be assumed hot. You should have to say nitro or cold brew. Am I off? Am I wrong in that? I mean, I I think the default is hot, yes. But I did read an article in the New York Times recently that sixty percent of orders at Starbucks year round are cold. So now cold is becoming more popular than hot. And we, we talked about this recently on the Levitard show, and a few people tweeted at me and said that the shelf life of a cold coffee is longer than a hot coffee. So, like, there's a, there's a peak window where you can drink your hot coffee where it's a, the right temperature. It's right, not too right. hot or it's not Agreed. just ice cold. Whereas a cold, cold brew or an iced coffee, that window is much longer. So you can sip it 
over a longer period of time as the ice melts. And I think there's something to that. I think it's just more drinkable. It goes down smoother, and you can drink it over the course of a breakfast without it, you know, becoming undrinkably cold if it's supposed to be hot. So I, I'm a, that's par, I, part of the reason why I'm a cold coffee drinker. I'm also in Miami, so, you know, the temperature finally dipped this week. It's only 89 instead of 96, and cold just feels right. So there's the biggest difference. You read the article in the New York Times. I try and steer away from reading. So that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big difference. So maybe I would have had that a... stat if I read. Yeah, sorry, that's my fault. All right, so before we get to, to college football and Zeke Elliott and the NFL, let's, uh, let's congratulate the Las Vegas Aces for their WNBA title uh, led by Becky Hammond. Uh, she took over as coach there. And uh, they were really the favorite from the get-go. They and the, and the Chicago Sky, they were kind of the two favorites. But the Aces were the, were the favorite. And, and while Connecticut certainly jumped in for one game when they got at home to get a win, I mean, the Aces were a better team, and, and they showed it. So congrats to them. Yes, big congrats to them. The game was awesome. I, I watched it on Sunday. And congratulations to Chelsea Gray, who was named the finals MVP. But, Mike, the player that has always stood out to me on this team is, of course, Asia Wilson. And she looks like she's having the time of her life celebrating this championship. I don't know if you've seen any of the videos of the press conference after the game. Yeah, She's been tweeting, where's the four loco? She (laughs) just seems like she's been waiting to celebrate this her entire life. And she is just such a a winner. Like She was part of that team at South Carolina that won the national championship that's really credited for turning that into a a super nationally competitive team every single year with Don Staley. Um, And she was at the national championship this year, which I thought was, was really cool when they won and I just I think it's it's fun to watch I'm bummed obviously I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Chicago fan and I thought that you know they they easily could have won this title they were playing really well until they met the sun in the playoffs but congrats to the aces like you said it was it's a it was fun to watch the games it was a fun story feel really happy for Becky Hammond and and Asia Wilson and Chelsea Gray but Mike most importantly for Jackie Young Notre Dame grad yes we watched play in college now she is an NBA champion yeah and she won a she won a gold medal last summer playing three on three in the Olympics she won a national championship at Notre Dame and now she has a WNBA championship like what what other career accolades can you get well, I mean, the only thing I call, I call that underachieving, right? I mean, my <laughs> God, I mean, that, that, is, that is so cool. And for the Aces, let's remember, they started as the Utah Stars back mm-hmm. uh, when the WNBA made its debut back in 97. Then they moved to San Antonio and now uh, in Las Vegas. So, yes, again, congrats to them. They're now one of four teams that the, the team had the regular season MVP and the finals MVP, joining the Mystics, the Sparks, and the Comets. So uh, they, they lived up to it. You know, it, it's uh, you have all that pressure on you. Everybody thinks you're the best and, and you go out and you prove it. So uh, kudos to them uh, and their championship. So uh, from that, we let's go to, uh, to college football where we can finally rest easy, Jess, and celebrate a little bit. I, I was at the Marshall game and we lost that one. And my wife and I were sitting in the stands for Oof. the, for the Cal game. And man, I mean, what looked like another tough one to look like we had it comfortably won on a fumble return for a touchdown that wasn't to all of a sudden there's a Hail Mary pass that's sitting on the chest of a Cal player in the end zone uh, to possibly win it. And by the way, I found out after the game that Cal would have gone for two had they mm. got that, uh, that Hail Mary. So they would have either won it or lost it on the last play of the game. But 
Hey, Let's you know go what? Lost it. Yeah, exactly. wasn't the prettiest thing in the world, but you know what? You you finally will we finally take that first win of the year. It was definitely not pretty, Mike, and and especially so. We've been giving a lot of credit to Notre Dame's defense for the most part has been the the. I mean, well, they've definitely been the better unit. Actually, yeah. you know what? I take that back. Special teams. Shout out to yeah. Notre Dame special teams. What we Notre Dame's got a great punter and a yeah, great kicker, and boy, did they use that punter a lot this weekend. But the defense has been playing better than the offense, which we can also talk about. Um, but then the the final series of the game happened, and there was that targeting penalty, Mike, that yeah. took away the uh, game ceiling interception, and then the defense on that hell mary, which what you know I. I've never played football, but I do know you are not supposed to catch a Hail Mary pass if you're a defender. You're supposed to swat it down in the end zone. And Marcus Freeman said after the game, before they even went in the locker room, he wanted to tell the team how to defend that pass. So at least he's he's on the case. But, yeah, that was really nerve-wracking end of the game. It is three words that you always repeat on a Hail Mary if you're on the defense. Knock it down. That's it. Knock it down. And the ball got batted up one time, and then one of our defenders actually tried to catch it when it should have got two mitts on the ball and just spiked it into the ground and been done with it. And I'm sure, you know, they'll, they'll be coached up on that. But boy, oh, boy. Uh, and, and I don't know. Listen, I, Jess, I don't know. I mean, uh, Drew Pine certainly struggled. You wonder if we're going to see the freshman quarterback uh, at all in this because it was – he had some wide open guys and he was throwing the ball into the dirt. I don't know if that was nerves, but he played last year, you know, uh, but he got, you know, now he's, he's kind of the guy, you know, last year when he played, he got put in during games, which is different. I remember my, my son, Mike saying this when Mike finally got to play uh, b- before he started uh, and got the starting spot for the following year, uh, a, a player, one of his, his roommate and teammate Braxton cave got injured. So Mike went in like in the second quarter and he said, sometimes that's better because you don't think, you know, you don't have time to think about the moment. You just go play, you know, and Drew Pine has had time to think about the moment, you know, but he did yeah. have all week to prepare and everything, but he had time to think about the moment. And, and it certainly was a struggle and hopefully he'll get more consistent as time goes on, but uh, definitely a struggle. Now they take on a North Carolina team before they're by, before they end up heading to, to Vegas for the, the Shamrock series. So it seems just like that's kind of the year it's going to be for the team and for us as fans is we'll see some good, we'll see some bad, and we may be holding our breath at the end of games. We may be seeing a lot of ugly. Mike, I have to ask, so you mentioned Drew Pine, uh, you know, being in that position. One of the things that went viral on the Internet from yeah. the game was the Tommy Reese, uh, you know, clip of him on the phone yelling at Drew Pine. And, and, and lip reading experts have declared that he was saying, do your effing job. Yes, yes um, he was. And then, and then something after that, it, I couldn't make it out. But anyways, I, I'm curious what you think about this. You know, obviously, Mike played with Tommy Reese. You probably know him. Yes. Um, he was a former Notre Dame quarterback not too long ago, but he was doing the thing that Brian Kelly got criticized a lot for doing. I think I think at some point, yes, there's frustration that sets in. Also, you know, you see when he yelled like that and people are going to like, like, oh, wow, you know. But if that's done also at practice, it's not like it's going to be a shock to the kid. And I've been at some practices. And listen, coaches yell at practice as well. You know, if a coach didn't yell at practice and all of a sudden just yelled on game day, it would be like, wow, you know, okay, that, that's a little surprising. But 
I think I think the players are used to that, used to hearing coaches, in this case, Tom Reese, yell at a practice. And then I'm sure there's a lot of frustration, you know, that, that, that gets in the booth. Now, listen, make, make no doubt, when Tommy sees that, he's probably not going to be happy that yeah. he got caught on camera doing that or that he did that because you know you're always on camera. They always have those cameras that are shooting in the booth on the coordinator. So he's never going to get away from that. So it's probably something he'll think about to try and control his anger. Maybe maybe turn around in his seat or something or, you know, cover his face cover or muffle it or something. Yeah, yeah, do something. Yeah. I, I would imagine when they go to the booth and he's mad, you may see a different response uh, from him because – he probably wasn't too happy that got out there. I would agree. But, yeah, it was pretty easy to tell uh, tell what he had said. I was also thinking that, like, you know, NBC always gets accused of being, like, the Notre Dame Homer broadcast because right. up and up and for not too much longer, Notre Dame's the only college football team that they broadcast right. regularly. Notre Dame's had a partnership with them for over 30 years. Uh, or, or maybe we're coming up on the 30-year anniversary. I'm not sure. But anyways, uh, they always get accused of being the Homer broadcast. And I, I, I think that showing that little clip maybe maybe negates some of those accusations. Some of that, I would say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was. I agree with you. It's like I, I don't know if you give Tommy more. I, obviously, you've played football. You've gotten screamed at by coaches. Yeah. I'm more sensitive, and I don't like being screamed at by anyone. So I'm always like, ah. But um, you, you feel it feels like he kind of gets a pass because he's been in that situation before and like might know a way to motivate Drew Pine, um, and not, you know, it, it seemed like he played better after that. I mean, after after the first quarter at least. So I don't. It, know. It's certainly the old line did, and the running game played a lot better. But but I'll say this again is. It, I'm sure it didn't catch him off, off guard. I'm sure Tommy has yelled at Drew Pine, has yelled at Tyler Buckner, has yelled at other players on the offense as much in practice. So and then when you could yell that during the game, A, if you did something wrong, you know you did something wrong, the expectation is you're going to get yelled at. Now, you're going to get yelled at. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I don't think it's going to affect the players as much as people might think. Now, there are those... That's probably true. That yeah, is probably yeah. true. You, because you, you've heard it before. Now, there are, there are others that will say when you coach a game, it should be a little different than practice. Instead of yelling in that way, it should be more of a, all right, let's, let's work through this moment you know, we'll, and we'll deal with it after the game. But coaches are different. But like I said, it, it, so everybody saw Tommy yell, and and believe me, it, it's not the first time he yelled. It's not the first time he's yelled at Pine. It's not the first time he's yelled at another player. So the least surprise are going to be the players out of all of this thing. But uh, like I said, I don't have any doubt Tommy's probably going to want to kind of hide that yelling mm-hmm. uh, going forward. As far as the games, not really many upsets uh, in week three. There were some Rank well, the, the biggest was, one. <laughs> well, what was what was your biggest one? I'll give you my biggest one. Well, the biggest one to me was Washington and Michigan State. Washington was okay. Unranked, that was a big one. You're and right. And Michigan State was ranked 11, and, and Michigan now it was in Washington, so they were at home. Beat them 39, I think, to 28 in that one. Uh, you know that that as far as a non-ranked and ranked, there were there was a couple others where a ranked, you know, a, a higher uh, ranked beat a lower ranked type of deal. I think what A and M was ranked lower. At 24, then Miami at 13, and A&M won that game 17 to nine. So a couple like that, but nothing. What 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 was yours? Well, mine mine was two unranked teams, but never, nevertheless a a crazy upset. Southern Illinois beating Northwestern at Northwestern. Mike D- 
Did you catch any of that game? Because I watched the final series where, where Northwestern, I mean, it was ugly. Uh, Southern Illinois lost their first two games of the season to Southeast Missouri State and Incarnate Word. Incarnate oh. Word put 62 points up on Southern Illinois, and then they came into Northwestern, who beat Nebraska earlier this season. So now there, if you play the transitive win game, which I don't like because every game and every week in college football is a different game, um, but if you do play that game, Incarnate Word now has a, a transitive win over Nebraska, I think. If you, if you Yes, that's right. Look at it that way. Yes, because Northwestern beat Nebraska, Ooh. right. So... Anyways, uh, the transitive was, win. That was a that was a crazy uh, a, a crazy game, Mike. When you put so- Southern Illinois on the schedule, you're like, okay, this gives us a good rest week before we get into the nitty gritty conference play. And then mm, not so not so fast, my friend. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't see that one. But uh, boy, mm-hmm. oh boy, that's a that's a tough loss. We already talked about the team that they beat in the first game. Northwestern beat Nebraska. Scott Frost already getting fired there. So. Uh, usually some really crazy stuff, but I didn't think overall, as far as ranked was concerned, it was there was a really ton uh, that went on. No. And now, no, th- but the the Washington game was a good one though, yeah. and we should mention Michael Penix, who transferred from Indiana, Indiana. Yeah. who was pretty good at Indiana, but like had some moments where he was like not as good. But he looked really good against Michigan State, and they were fun to watch. And, and Washington has a new head coach this season, Kalen DeBoer, who's uh, I I think going to win a lot of games there especially in the, in the Pac-12 where there's you know decent competition but right. it's certainly not like the SEC West or something like that so that was fun to watch yeah and we'll start to now see conference play after that first week where you see some stuff the next two you get kind of the bigs against the littles you know that's what we saw more up on the top of the uh, the rankings and now we'll start to get into conference play so with uh, now conference play and conference championships will start to start to form over the next few weeks to see where we're going to go as we're still in the final four because we haven't um, we haven't expanded the playoffs just yet, and that's going to happen. So uh, jumping into the NFL into week two, before we jump into the entire uh, week of what went on, uh, I had a chance, as I mentioned, uh, while you were taking the team picture with the Levitard group, I had a chance <laughs> to catch up uh, with Zeke Elliott to talk a little uh, fantasy rainmakers with DraftKings and the state of the Dallas Cowboys. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, Zeke, so let, let's start with the most important thing out there because I know um, Collegiate Alliance is always big, even through years in the NFL, and I know I did it for years when I was playing. Did you and Zach Martin have any kind of wager on the Ohio State-Notre Dame game a couple of weeks ago? Um, just kind of a friendly bet. Uh, you know, didn't put any money up or anything, didn't do anything goofy like have to wear a hat the next week. <laughs> Did uh, were you were you surprised at, at I mean you guys were a seventeen and a half point favorite against you know my alma mater there and uh, turned out to be a little scary for you guys in the beginning until you took over did uh, did that one concern you a bit uh, you know I was a little bit concerned uh, you know I thought we would have came out a little, a little stronger but you know having uh, Jackson go down early I think that definitely affected the offense but uh, you know but 
you know, they got they got to the run uh, in that second half, which I, I think we should have done a little earlier. And uh, I think that's what, you know, kind of set us apart. <laughs> yeah, I, I think somehow, somewhere Ohio State's going to be right there in the end like uh, like they normally are. So let's let's move over to, obviously, uh, the NFL. You guys had a tough wor- uh, first game against Tampa. You get the last-second win against Cincinnati on the field goal with a new quarterback in Cooper Rush. First, talk about I like taking people down kind of on the field in the locker room or in the mindset of, of, of the pro athletes in – getting that first win of the season after a first loss and just kind of the, is there that relief? Okay. We got that first one under our belt. Uh, definitely, definitely was a relief, you know, getting that after getting that first win. And, uh, you know, it definitely was, you know, a little, a little anxious going into that second game. Uh, you know, you know, not without, without our starting quarterback, uh, you know, we lost our guard kind of McGovern that game too. So, you know, we're, we're light on the whole line. Uh, you know, we don't have a starting quarterback. Now we're going against a, a team that, I just played in the AFC Championship, so uh, you know it was definitely a little anxiety uh, going into that game. But uh, you know we did what we needed to do it and got the dub. And and listen, you're right. Injuries are something you never predict. Tyron Smith goes out before that, and then you mentioned McGovern during the game there as well. And and now Dak. So you go with Cooper Rush, and of course, all of us former players who become analysts, we all have our opinions on. Oh, can you win with Cooper Rush? You know, how's it going to go? He had to start last year against Minnesota, and. But take us into the meeting rooms and on the practice field and your guys' comfort level with Cooper Rush. I mean, so Coop's, Coop's a guy who's been around, uh, he's been around, so he's year six, and uh, I think he's spent five of them here in Dallas. So, uh, you know, I would say the offense really hasn't changed much, uh, you know, since I've gotten here. It's a lot of uh, the same plays, but I mean, not all the same plays, but some new plays, but, you know, a little bit different verbiage. But uh, Coop's been here for, for almost all of that. And so, uh, you know, he's, he's super comfortable in the offense. He knows the offense really well. And, uh, you know, he's gotten that experience. Uh, he got that experience last year in Minnesota, you know, on the road. And we got that win. And he, he played lights out through for 350. Um, so, I mean, we, we, we have a lot of confidence in Coop. So, and then for you, a lot of talk this year going into how that backfield was split between you still obviously being the man and Tony Pollard. Uh, getting more more time as well. We see it more and more. I'm sure you've seen it through the, the years. It's now your seventh year in the league of how teams are kind of going to that two-back system. And I know players want to play. Players want to be out on the field. But your thought on how it kind of it, it's kind of evolving into that now with the two backs. Well, you know, I think I think Tony, you know, he's a great player. And I think he's, he's earned the right to, to, to be on the field. And I think, you know, as a football team, you got you to get your best – best players on the field and uh you got I think he's a guy that he needs touches. Uh, I mean just how explosive he is. And uh, I mean every time he touches the ball it's just you gotta hold your breath or the other team has to hold their breath, uh, you know, 'cause you know, he can take it to distance any time. Is there a thing like if for for me it was the D line and we'd certainly have a rotation system when I was on the D line between five, six guys. For a running back, is it, you know, you get that hot hand and you want to stay in the game to kind of keep it going and then it gets switched up at times. How to, or, or is it the running back coach or whoever's deciding who goes in to get a feel of how to use you guys? Uh, you know, I think it's just, I think it's uh, coach Pete just uh, kind of getting the feel on how to use us. And uh, um, I mean, if a guy gets a hot hand and I mean, he's hot, you got to leave him in there. And uh, I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. But uh, I think coach Pete, Pete does a good job of just uh, kind of managing it. So this is your seventh year now in the league. So what would be coming in as a rookie and now then coming in as your seventh year, 
to you to what what's been like the biggest difference you've seen from rookie year to now in how the game is and how you're approaching the game? Um, you know, I, I would say the biggest difference is I would say every year um, the rules on uh, like just how much we can practice, uh, how many padded practices we get, uh, how many. Like I think this year we only got like eight eight padded practices in, in camp, and so uh, and, and in OTAs the the tempo slow all the way down. So I mean, there's a lot. The the PA is doing they're doing a good job of just kind of limiting what what how much we could do just to kind of protect us, just to just to extend our careers. But uh, I mean, but without those 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 live reps, uh, without those those padded practices, you gotta find a way to still get ready for the season. You know what I mean? So so I mean, I think that's the biggest difference. It is a double-edged sword. I mean, back in the 80s and 90s when I played, the, you know, I wish that was the, the deal. As far as less hitting, it was more hitting. But you make a great point. I mean, are, are there years? Because you were in the crossover, right, seventh year. So when you first came in, there the two-a-days, you could go padded practices back-to-back, right, in training camp, or was that already done? No, yeah. Uh, I don't know if we – I'm trying to think. I don't think we had two-a-days when I, when I got, in, got in the league. Uh, but – um. Yeah, I don't think we, we did. Do you – and so then people will say, you know, the preseason, do they need to hit more in the preseason to get ready for the regular season? But as I mentioned, it's a double-edged sword of, of resting your body and getting ready for the season. For you personally, how much hitting do you feel you need to do to get ready for the season to kind of hit the ground running? Um, I mean, I think me personally, I don't think I really really need much. Uh, I think – uh. I don't think I really need much, and I think it's a, it's a little, it's a, it's uh, I'd rather you know not get banged up in, in camp. I'd rather you know what I mean, uh, <laughs> save save those hits for the season and uh, be fresh. Yeah, if you're gonna get hit, get hit during the game, right? That's all. That's that's all you need. I, yeah. I don't blame you a bit. And then there's a part of the game again that never affected me because I played too long ago and I was a D lineman, so it didn't matter. But the fantasy part, and I mean, wow, is it unreal? And of course, with DraftKings, they had the uh, the launch the Rainmakers football, kind of the next generation of fantasy football. You can build the ultimate fantasy football team by collecting player cards on the DraftKings marketplace. Use the collection of cards to play in free, uh, the weekly contest, just like regular DraftKings DFS contests. It, it's it's amazing where Rainmakers has taken this now. Uh, to the cards that you can buy to use to make your team. But fantasy football, Zeke, I mean, you just saw Leonard Fournette out there on, on Twitter apologizing <laughs> to the fans who had him because he's not scoring touchdowns. How much do you hear it from people about your fantasy numbers? Um, as every day, uh, you know, fantasy is super funny. Um, I think I think it's funny. I think it's fun. It's actually my first year playing fantasy. Uh, so, um but I mean, I think it's fun. I hear about it all the time. Uh, you know, it kind of it kind of gives it gives the fans a little bit some, I guess, more to root for. And I guess it, I mean, kind of it works because you get uh, other other fans, you know, have interest in other teams. And uh, no, you hear it all the time, and, and fans they get pissed off about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, listen, even now, like if it's your stadium, I mean, they'll they'll put up other fan numbers of of backs and quarterbacks, you know, so people can see what their fantasy players are doing. And we know it's lucrative that this contest I'm talking about with Rainmakers, the prizes include over a million dollars in total cash and experiences. So, I mean, it's not just for fun. You can make something on it as well. Do you, 
do you think about it all? Like when you score a touchdown at all is after you go to the sideline, do you, do you think uh, about the, the fantasy and, and the points that you're scoring and how you may have helped somebody? Uh, no, <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I don't really care about the fantasy. Um, but it's, it's super, I think it's super cool what, what DraftKings is doing, you know, with the, with the new NFTs and they're definitely changing the game and uh, just your ability to be able to, to, to buy your favorite players and, and then collect them and then use them week to week to, to see if you can, you know, get a chance at getting a, your little piece of that one million. <laughs> and it's, it's a whole new world with the NFTs out there. It is, it is something else, but, but it's working and, and I'm glad DraftKings is buying into it uh, to have this incredible contest. So season goes on now. Next game is against the Giants for you. Is there anything different during a practice when you go to a division game as opposed to a, out of division or out of conference? Um, I, I wouldn't say that there's anything different, but, uh, I think, I think, um, everyone, everyone knows, uh, you know, that division games are, are, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a little, there's a little bit more edge, edge to them. Uh, so you gotta bring, bring, bring your stuff. You gotta be ready for, for those opponents. Um, and, and I think, I think we're ready. And I, I know it's early in the season. Listen, we're only going into week three, but how, how are, how's the body holding up? Uh, body feels good. Um, you know, I, I'll say that's one thing about you know, you know, splitting the load a bit is, uh, you know, it it, it will keep it's gonna keep me fresher, gonna keep me, you know, no healthier down down the down the road. Well, congrats on the win last week, and appreciate your time talking about some rainmakers, and we'll see if some more people can make some money off those fantasy numbers of yours, man. Thanks a lot, Zeke. Appreciate you. Have a good one. So Jess talking to to Zeke was was fun. It was it was good. Now that he's in his seventh year, we chatted a little bit about the difference of like his rookie year to his seventh year, you know, and how the league has changed, how he has changed, and and one one of the themes throughout that as, as y'all just heard was how he kind of there's that fine line of not hitting as much in preseason or at practice as opposed to hitting enough to be ready for the season. But of course, just like he said, at the end of the day, he'd rather not hit as much in the preseason and save the big hits for, for getting hit on game day. And I don't blame him one bit. I wish I had that choice way back when. <laughs> uh, well, did you, did you guys get to talk about the uh, big game against the Bengals this weekend, Mike? Because oh, the doll, wow. uh, the, Dallas Cowboys winning with backup Cooper Rush against a team that was in the Super Bowl last year seems like a pretty big upset to me. Well, it really does. Now, I called uh, for Westwood One last year the Cowboys-Minnesota game where Cooper Rush started, and he played well in that game. And remember, of his six years, I think, in the league, five have been in this system. So he knows the system well. That's why I asked Zeke, you know, while all the all of us analysts are saying, oh, can the Cowboys win with Cooper Rush? And just what he said, he goes, he knows this system. We're very comfortable with him uh, at quarterback, you know, and 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 he's he's showing that. And it doesn't does it certainly helps that their defense is playing extremely well. In all honesty, because I saw Cooper Rush play pretty well last year, I'm still more surprised just at Cincinnati. And I, I I'm trying to figure out why they still have the issues of being sacked. You have four new offensive linemen now, and, and they're veterans, mostly veterans. So I know it takes a bit to kind of get get together and play together. Five guys have to play together better than anybody. Um, uh, you know, so the old line has is, is got to be the most cohesive group. But Joe Burrow's been sacked 13 times in two games. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm amazed at that, that there's still an issue, which, and listen, we can't put it all on the O-line. At times, Joe holds on to the ball too long. He is still a young quarterback, even though a great quarterback. But, but that, to me, I mean, I, one thing I didn't see two weeks into the season is the Cincinnati Bengals being 0-2. Yeah, uh, definitely not, Mike. It's been crazy to watch that O-line play. And I thought after the Steelers game, there was a report that Joe Burrow was sitting in the locker room like in full pads and, and hadn't showered yet like 45 minutes after the game. And a lot of people were saying like, wow, he, he is really upset they lost. Like he, he cares so much. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, no, he's sitting there wondering how long he's going to be able to take that until he gets injured again, right? Like if I were him, I would be terrified. That is a lot of sacks to take. I think he, he was sacked, what, 70 times last season? And for yeah, them to put yeah, all that yeah. investment into the O-line and it still be an issue, like I, I would just be terrified being back there in the pocket with those guys. Um, but, yeah, it, it, I guess, like you said, there's time for them to start playing better together yeah, and that yeah. line to, like, really mesh. But you have to wonder, like, how many games can you lose in that division? I mean, that division this weekend looked – like probably one of the worst divisions, but you know, this, the Steelers did beat them. The Ravens are definitely a, I think a better team, although they have issues too. Yeah. The Browns, I don't know. The Browns are the Browns. Uh, we can, we can talk about the end of that game, but it's just until they figure it out though, like they're, they're losing precious games that they, they should be winning. I, I agree. That one really was a, was a bit of a stunner to me. And you mentioned that division and how they're playing. I mean, it looked like Baltimore as Baltimore's playing that game. You're going, well, pfft. They're the yeah. cream of the crop in that division. You know, Lamar Jackson's on 70-yard runs, and, you know, everybody's tweeting, oh, my God, he's going to get paid so much when he finally gets paid. If that ever happens, he could have two years of franchise tags to deal with before that even happens. But then here comes the Miami Dolphins. I mean, holy smoke, sitting there 2-0. and two was play- You know, we talked about two quarterbacks at the beginning of the season. They happen to both be Alabama quarterbacks for the most part. We know uh, – uh, Jalen, you know, popped somewhere else's last year. But two Alabama quarterbacks between Tula and Jalen Hurts, it was kind of their proving year. You know, what were they going to show? Because Miami had talked about trading for Deshaun Watson, then that obviously went away. Uh, it's Jalen's job to to keep or to lose. And they both are, with a resounding yes, showing that they are the quarterbacks of the future for their respective teams. What Tua is doing right now, I mean, he went 36 of 50, 469, six touchdowns. And, I mean, Waddle, uh, 171 yards. Hill, 190 yards. 22 receptions between the two of them. I mean, they are – and I like the way their defense is playing, even though they gave up a lot of points uh, to Baltimore. But, wow. I mean, not being sure of that offense, even with the additions on paper, it looked good. But, boy, in practical application, are they getting the job done? Yeah. Mike, you know, to be honest, we do a lot of Tua talk here in Miami on the Levitar Show. I bet. It has been the topic of conversation on Miami Sports Radio now for for years. And even after this game, I I listened to the local hour of the Levitard Show today, and there's still Tua detractors and – people who, you know, they need to see more from him. They need to see him do it against the Bills. And, Mike, I just – I don't even know why you're having that conversation if you're a Dolphins fan right now. You're not going to trade for anyone else during the season, right? You're going to have to – you're going to be starting Tua this entire season. Yep. 
deal with the question mark in the future after you see him play the full season with this team and with this roster, with this new coach, and then you can have all the Tua complaint conversations in the world of, if you know whether or not he's the guy. But right now, like, just let him go out there and play. You have a new offense. You have new playmakers. You you traded for speed and, and Tyree Kill. You have Jalen Waddle. The that um. The Jalen Waddle, I forget, it was one of the big receptions he had. It might have been the, the final touchdown uh, where Tyreek Hill's doubled up and so he just throws it to Waddle. It's like, how do you defend these guys? And maybe you got to give you know some, some question marks to Baltimore secondary for letting both of those guys run free. But I also think like when you have two weapons like that on the, on the field, like how do you stop it? It's, it's tough to do. Well, I mean, talk about looking forward to a game. The Bills play Miami this week. I mean, in week three, wow. Because the Bills, without question, look like the best team in all the NFL. Absolutely dominant on offense, and their defense is playing extremely well uh, as well after their destruction of Tennessee on uh, on Monday Night Football. So uh, that they look incredibly good to me. So this would be a hell of a test for Miami. But I'm with you. I mean, well, let me ask you this. Are the Miami fans excited down there? Because I have to say, well, now, again, this was decades ago, uh, you know, but it's a still a sports town. When I finished my career in Miami in 93, Dan was – Marino was our quarterback. We were 9-2 and two after mm-hmm. 11 games, and we still weren't selling out games. The apathy there, I mean, compared to where I came from, from the Eagles, where the people are nuts – it was. It's like people didn't care down there. We had the best record in all of football. Now we lost the last five games and didn't make the playoffs. But at that point, when we were nine and two, we still weren't selling out games. And I was always like, "What? What the hell is going on?" I mean, <laughs> is there excitement down there? I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to say because I I don't really have my finger on the pulse of like your average Miamian. I I really only am talking to the guys on the show and like a couple of my friends who, who are also transplants. So I, I don't know exactly, but it, it does seem like people are really excited for this team. And then you have this whole online phenomenon of Tuanon, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with. I'm, you, you probably are because, well, maybe, maybe Sydney is because she's managing your social accounts. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, it's these Tua Tungalavailoa uh, defenders who – you know, get mad. Like they got mad last week because Ryan Fitzpatrick was breaking down Tua's game and, and they edited it with clips from the Ravens game showing that Fitzpatrick was wrong. And, you know, Fitzpatrick, like, what do you know anyways? Like you're not Tom Brady. Right. Don't, you know, who do you think you are? And Ryan Fitzpatrick's just, you know, giving his opinion on Tua. So it was very bizarre. But yeah, there, there seems to be like a lot of infighting amongst fans if you're on the Tua side or the not Tua side. But if people are talking about it, I think, yeah, that's a sign that they're they're into it and they're excited. And I don't know why you wouldn't be. I think having a new coach and making a big offseason trade sometimes is all a fan base needs to get really pumped. I did hear they sold out their home opener, I'm pretty sure. Good. Which hadn't, hadn't happened in a while. So that's got to be a good sign, right? I mean, ride it, man. You're playing well. Enjoy it, man. Why, why would there be any negativity right now? There'll be plenty of time for it. It's not like you're going... 17 and 0 so there's going to be time to to rip some things but man have a ball enjoy it man have a scone relax have a scone mike i think like sports fans sometimes sports fans who aren't used to winning don't know how to act after they won something and i say that as a very spoiled steelers fan who's very used to having a team make the playoffs 
have a team win playoff games. I've seen my my Steelers team play in multiple AFC championship games. You know, they won the Super Bowl when I was eight years old. So, like, I'm very, very spoiled when it comes to the Steelers. And so when they win, I know how to brag about it to Bears fans, basically, like the ones I went to high school with. Right. And I know how I know how to I know how to act like a sore winner. Like, ah, ha ha, you guys all stink. My team's the best. And I think if you're a long suffering fan, maybe that's not the most natural thing to do. But I don't know. That's just a personal hypothesis. I'm not yeah. sure. No, no. I, I'm with you. Like I said, I like I hope they will enjoy it because there'll, there'll be plenty of time to criticize some things going on. Maybe after the Bills game, we'll see. But that's a that's a monster matchup uh, in that division. Uh, in week three, so definitely looking forward to that. A couple of other kind of quick notes out there. Did you see the end of the Browns-Jets game where Oof. Nick Nick Chubb is taking responsibility for that? Now, he shouldn't, so for those that don't know, they were up a touchdown over the Jets, and there was like a minute 55 to go in the game, and they could have knelt down and ended the game. But Nick Chubb ran for a 12-yard touchdown run to put him up, I think, what, 30-17, to 17, I believe it was, or something like that. And he said, I cost us the game. I shouldn't have scored that touchdown. We should have knelt and ended the game. Well, while I understand what his thought process is, he didn't cost him the game. You know, defense still let the Jets score. I mean, it's Joe Flacco. Have, the Joe yeah. Flacco led Jets, too. Yeah, the elite yeah. Joe Flacco. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to sit there and say Nick Chubb cost him the game. But, you know, you could have ended that game, you know, uh, taking a knee and not even having to worry about a 12-yard touchdown run. But uh, so I guess Robert Sala is is taking receipts already, right? He's going to start pointing out those fingers at everybody because he's taking receipts, and which I thought was one of the more ridiculous comments. But Mike, that's a fan base that doesn't know how to win. They don't no, know how. Exactly right. They don't know how to do it. So they're just like, well, what we have to, we just have to live in the in the muck because that's all we we know how to how to do. That's how we act. Like I I think I saw like their social media team was like, wait, what? We're winning? Like they just they were just unsure of how to react to I would game. Ag- I would agree with that yeah and and then probably yeah. one of the craziest finishes of the weekend was the Cardinals and the Raiders you know the Raiders winning this game seemed like they were in control and the Cardinals come back and and uh, I my my god the the runaround that Kyler Murray had uh, before he ran into the end zone I think he ran about 80 yards for a three yard you know you know get in the end zone it was ridiculous and then to win in overtime when the Raiders have the ball, a great hit on defense, and then Byron Murphy Jr. scoops up a fumble and scores to end it in overtime. I mean, just an incredible win for Arizona, a team that I've said at the beginning of the year, Jess, I still can't figure out. Kyler Murray is exciting, but he can be not very good at times either. So I'm not really sure where I am on him or the rest of that team, but they fought back extremely well in this game and then get that incredible uh, touchdown. I, I don't know which was, obviously that was a better one because it, it, it won you the game, but Kyler Murray scrambled for a touchdown when they were down, uh, what, uh, well, no, they, that got him the two-point conversion, I think, to make it 23-15, to 15, or no, got him the touchdown, uh, was, was amazing before the two-pointer to, to, to tie everything up. It was impressive what he did, but I, I'm not going to lie, I'm still not sure what I think of the Cardinals, but it was a great win for them. Well, they have to win all these early season games because you know Cliff Kingsbury's record in the second half of the season. Horrible. So yep. They got to scoop up as many of these fumbles as they can early because no one knows how they will unravel this November and December. But uh, you know, history shows that his teams usually do. 
Um, but yeah, Mike, that was another game again with like weird clock management. Like we saw Nathaniel yeah. Hackett yeah. struggle with this too this weekend, and and Cliff Kingsbury taking the delay of game penalty at the end after a timeout, which is like, how does that even happen? Um, how do, if you're a head coach, Mike, how do you learn game manage like clock management? Like, do you talk to older coaches? So, do you just experience it and learn it on the fly? Like. What can Nathaniel Hackett do to get better in the season right now? With some it, of it's this? interesting you ask that because I'm actually calling for Westwood one, the San Francisco at Denver game this Sunday. So in already doing prep for it, I've been reading up a lot about what Nathaniel Hackett's been talking about it. Cause obviously he's been talked about talking about game management a ton and you have strategists. Like if you look at their roster of coaches, mm-hmm. there's like strategists and stuff, you know, where you can talk about all this stuff. But as Nathaniel Hackett said, and he's right, he goes, I have to make these decisions quicker. And the only way I think you learn that is by being in the situation and doing it. He already admitted he made a mistake going for a 64-yard field goal instead of uh, Russell Wilson trying to get a fourth and five. So his decisions are just, and, and he said it, they have to come faster. And is it? If you have too many people, Jess, then you get too many cooks in the kitchen, right? If everybody starts to offer their opinion in that time frame, that's just <laughs> yeah, now going to take true. more time to make that decision. So you have to have a better plan going into the game on if we're in these situations, what we want to do, let everybody have their talk before the game to, to call all that information. But you got to have a plan when the game starts. At the end of the day, Nathaniel Hackett has to make the decision so what information is he is he getting to make that def- decision? When is he getting it? And is he turning around that information fast enough to make decisions on the field? And right now, he's not in some cases. So mm-hmm. I would say he's learning on the fly. And you know what? You better learn quick. You, yeah. you, you better learn quick. Um, because the expectation is you've been given the task as a head coach. You know, you're not supposed to have training wheels on as a head coach. You're supposed right. to come in and I mean, be ready to go. Andy Reid used to be known for his bad yes. clock management yep. at the end of games, and he's obviously I, – I think he's gotten a lot better at it. We don't yep. certainly don't see it as much as we used to, and, and he's won a Super Bowl as well. So it does seem like something that you can get better at, but only if you have to keep doing it. And if you, <laughs> if you were doing it so egregiously that you don't get many more opportunities to do it, you probably won't learn how to fix your yeah. problems very easily. So – I don't know. You could make the make the argument that coaches are on a, a shorter leash now, but oh, they it are. Seems like it. Certainly seems like these are not like your run of the mill. Like, wait, what is he doing? He just he just wasted forty seconds or whatever. Like these are like big mistakes they at are. the end of games that you know in prime time too that everyone is watching. Yep. So they are, and those are things that he's going to have to figure out. And I think what he said is right. He eventually knows what he wants to do, even if, listen, sometimes it's a wrong decision. He's not the first coach to make a wrong decision, but a lot of times it's, you got to be decisive quicker in making these. So hopefully he's, he's learning that in his very, very short tenure now as a head coach. Before we get to our big announcement that you all can be part of, the last thing I just wanted to mention, just because I got in a number of them when I was playing, is when you get into a fight on the field. And that Tampa Bay, <laughs> Wait, New you, Orleans you did? Game, Oh, man, yeah. I was I was an asshole at times. There's no doubt about it. Um, I had to make up for the fact that I wasn't a very good athlete So uh, <laughs> by, by, get, by getting in fights. Um, well, is that what's going on here with Mike Evans and Marshawn uh, Lattimore? Cause no, th- those are two great players. They're, they're both pretty good, yeah. Which leads me to, I mean, 
more on the side of Evans because he got suspended. So if you didn't see it, there was a play on the sideline when New Orleans was on defense and Lattimore was kind of chirping at the Tampa Bay sideline and Tom Brady went walking by coming off the field and he chirped at Lattimore. They squared off. Someone grabbed Lattimore. Mike, uh, Michael, Mike Evans saw that and came racing. He was almost at the sideline, came racing back on and just decked Lattimore, just absolutely knocked him down. Somebody tried to grab him. Big fight. Uh, at the end of it, Lattimore gets tossed. Mike Evans get tossed. And Mike Evans now gets suspended for a game. It's against the Green Bay Packers. So, and, and I could, in, in more of the lip reading, when that fight was going on and Mike Evans was talking to the ref before he got tossed out, you could hear him uh, lip syncing saying, what was I supposed to do? Well, Mike, what you were supposed to do was not what you did. So there, there's no excuse. You know, and Tom Brady said the right things afterward. You know, I appreciate him having my back. And he also said, hopefully he'll learn from this because it was a stupid mistake. Stupid mistake. You cannot let your emotions get the best of you. It's, it's easier said than done because I've been on the field and it's happened, but I know I, ne- I know I never got a penalty, you know, in that situation that costs a team 15 yards and get thrown out of the game. You have to know when to stop. And he didn't. He and Lattimore because they both got tossed. You got two of your best players in a close game getting tossed because you don't want to get pushed around or, or mouth that. I mean, give me a friggin' break. And then to sit there and say to the ref, what was I supposed to do? Not, again, not what you did. I mean, it's just dumb to do. Uh, fights are going to happen. Pushing and shoving is going to happen. But you got to know the line to stop before you cost your team 15 yards or get thrown out. And then that led to a suspension. He's appealing it. And we'll see. By the time you the people hear this podcast, the appeal may be done. I don't know. We'll see. But he's appealing it, which he should. But, you know, at the end of the day, that's on him, Jess. I mean, you, you just have to know where the line is to not cost your team. It's a big weekend for lip reading, I think. My, yeah, it is. There you my, go. That's my takeaway. Yeah. Um, we have one more thing. We'll, we'll preview the little Thursday night football, and then we'll make our big announcement. So this weekend we have the Steelers – well, this Thursday we have the Steelers and the Browns. Uh, the Browns are four-and-a-half-point favorites. The the points total, Mike, is 38. Oh, that my God. It seems like a little, I mean, a little high maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You've been asking me if, if it's Kenny Pickett time. I think I think we're getting close to Kenny Pickett time. The, the Patriots-Steelers game, which we won't really even talk about it, it was just an ugly game on both sides. And a game, honestly, the Steelers – could have won if they were able to, you know, make like one, you know, one more offensive drive at the end. Right, but right. They weren't, and neither were the Patriots. It was ugly. Um, apologies to anyone who watched that. Uh, luckily, I didn't get to watch the first half because Sunday ticket was down again, so that was a, a relief. But, yeah, Mike, who do you have on this Thursday night game? And well, do you have any other notes from NFL Week week 2? I mean, you know, I, I look at this game and I see – the offense, just what I thought in Cleveland, would be kind of managed uh, by Jacoby Brissett. Uh, you may not see a ton of big plays. For Mitch, he, he is certainly, I mean, when you're completing under 60% of your passes, you have a couple of touchdowns. The offense isn't doing a whole lot. They need a little more on the run game as well because the pass game isn't really getting it done. So when I look at this matchup, the one thing that separates just to me is the offensive lines because both defenses have really good pass rushes. Though, with T.J. Watt out, that absolutely hurts uh, the Pittsburgh yeah. Steelers. 
But the Cleveland Browns offensive line is much better than the Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line. So as far as protecting Brissett, they have a better shot and a better, the way better running game with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb to control the ball as well. Whereas that pass rush by Cleveland against a Pittsburgh line that isn't very good uh, at all, uh, I think could be tough for Mitch. So that's where I give the edge to Cleveland, and that's where I think the edge in this game can be. I think Cleveland is going to win this game, and I think it'll put us a step closer uh, to Kenny Pickett time. I had said this was the fourth-place team in the division. Right now they're sitting at 1-1, one and one and the Bengals are 0-2. Uh, so we'll see where we are in another three or four weeks uh, if Pittsburgh <laughs> well, is let's down stop, at the bottom. Well, let's just – Let's stop the count there. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll give me the win on that. So you're taking the Browns with the points is my yes, I am. understanding. All right. Fair enough. We'll see if there's more we want Kenny chance from the Steelers crowd this weekend. Mike, is it time to make our big announcement? It is time. It is time to make the big announcement. Jess, I'm going to let you make the big announcement. Oh, all right. Well, for fans of the show, fans of Mike, fans of me, anyone in the South Bend, Notre Dame area, Mike and I will be doing a live show from O'Rourke's at 7.30 p.m. on October 14th. That is the Friday before the Stanford-Notre Dame game. Uh, if you're around, it is going to be a great time. It's presented by Guinness, so shout out to Guinness. Uh, shout out to DraftKings. Uh, we are really looking forward to it, Mike. What what can people expect from this? Well, man, back in when I was doing the show uh, at ESPN, it was in the me and, and Trey Wingo and my son Mike when we were doing the morning show. We did a show at O'Rourke's uh, in the morning, obviously 6 to 10, and on a game weekend on a Friday, and it was packed. I mean, O'Rourke's is literally, you cross the street and you are on campus. It is right there. It's a very hot spot. This is going to be, we're going to wait until after the pep rally. The pep rally is usually about 6 o'clock on Friday, and the team then afterward goes to their hotel, and all the fans walk to bars. And O'Rourke's will be packed at that point. Again, uh, this is uh, uh, after. This is at 7.30. We'll be live in there. We're going to try and hook up with some guests as well. Uh, I know I'll be drinking Guinness because I love Guinness. Um, so, yeah, it is going to be raucous. It's going to be packed. It's going to be loud. You got a couple of Notre Dame grads and Jess and I uh, hanging out there for a while. So going to be a lot of fun. I know a lot of people come in for the game. So all are welcome at O'Rourke, 730 on October 14th, the day before Notre Dame and Stanford. We're very excited for that, Mike. I'm excited. Maybe I'll bake you some cookies. Maybe I'll bake some cookies for the audience. Maybe we could do like a little like first 10 people to arrive, get one of Jess's chocolate chip cookies, something like that. I don't know, a little incentive to be I there. Say, I say even better, you make the cookies and we just throw them out to the crowd. <laughs> throw them out. Like, like they're throw in a out. zoo All and right. we're just throwing them like we're throwing them to animals. There you go. You throw the Guinness, I'll throw the cookies. Yep, there we go. Let me just say, if you aren't making goodies for this, that will be our last show together. <laughs> All right, fine. We'll see. We'll see if I uh, if I do it or not. That'll be a, a, a way of subtly breaking up with you, perhaps, now that you've now that you've offered that. <laughs> so just so you know, if Jess shows up with nothing, that means she hates doing the show with me and ready to be done. <laughs> I would never. I'm bringing cookies.